it's quite funny, but the film Ratatouille like really influenced me. Like that scene with the little Remy where he eats the cheese and the strawberry together and then he finds like fireworks. Like I still get that when I eat and even sometimes when I write. Urban Jungle brings stories from people around the globe that design and build a better world. I am Magda Flores and this is Urban Jungle. Welcome. Did you know that where we live and how we interact affects our well-being? Yet, when we talk about well-being, we tend to talk about me. Well-being is about we, the community and the environment we live in. It is time to shift the paradigm from me to we. Check out the Urban Wellbeing Training courses developed in partnership with the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org. This is a conversation with Maga Flores Trevino. Maga is a food and reviews writer. She has written for BBC Good Food, Olive Magazine and Oxford University, where Maga read modern and medieval languages. Maga often writes about food health and culture and is passionate about food. Hello, Maga. Hi there. One of the highest pleasures in life is food, colors, flavors, emotions. Today, we talk about what makes eating food one of the highest pleasures in life and how it supports our well-being. And to break the ice and help people picture where you are, please, Maga, tell me of a place you like to visit not far from where you are. I'm based in North London, well, currently Northwest London. I grew up near Islington and my favourite place is definitely Parkland Walk. So it's an old railway track. It's been kind of converted to like a nature reserve. And it's just one of my favourite places, mostly because it looks beautiful in every season. I did my first 10K ever there. I also did my first foraging experience there. So me and my mum found a wild garlic. I mean, we got our hands a bit muddy, but other than that, um, we made a lot of good food with that. So it definitely brings you back to nature in the city, which is really nice. Oh, I've got to visit that place because I don't think I have been. <laughs> yeah, it's really beautiful. Your background, it's huge. You've got loads of things. So if you can tell us a little bit about your background, that would be awesome. I think I guess I'll start with um, my degree it's definitely part of who I am I'm so I'm Mexican um but I was born and raised in London so I'm Mexican British I guess um I studied French and Italian at Oxford it was a lot like focused on literature which was definitely my maybe second love after food and I initially thought I wanted to go into art so I did a lot of work with we are art oxford and i worked in an art gallery in france called chateau lacoste which was really fun but during the pandemic which was when my year abroad was i actually had to be i say sent home but the contract kind of terminated obviously because of the pandemic so i ended up writing a lot for my student newspaper mostly just because i had a lot of time on my hands and the subject i wanted to write about um was food so my first ever article was 
the top five tips for first time cooks. So you can tell I, I loved um, alliteration <laughs> and I um, but I found it really fun writing about food and I've always loved food mostly because my parents are incredible cooks my dad in particular I hope my mum doesn't get too mad but um, he is entirely self-taught and I always thought like why didn't he like open a restaurant and all these things and <laughs> now being in the industry I'm so aware of like the various ways you can be involved with food and how even home cooking is like a skill and kind of an art form in itself yeah so when I left uni I thought about what I found most fun and um, writing was a huge part of my degree and I really enjoyed writing but for me it was always brainstorming ideas around the food world like one of the last articles I wrote was like how um, food would look like in 30 years for the 30 year anniversary of the of my student newspaper the Oxford student and um, yeah so I tried to find a job in the kind of quite obscure and hard definitely hard to get into food world mostly by figuring out that not all food magazines are written by um celebrity chefs as I used to think (laughs) I um just did a lot of research to media companies and applied 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 and got this job that's sort of my background many congratulations thank you you also speak lots of languages so surely Speaking the various different languages and getting into the culture and into the countries must give you a fantastic taste from around the world. Yeah, I'm so privileged to have been able to travel a lot. When I was 16, I was actually an au pair in France. And I remember first I met like French vegetarians, which is quite weird, but even tried like so many, like Andouille, like sausage, which is like all intestines and sounds gross, but it's actually delicious. Even being Mexican, just going to Mexico all the time and every time trying something different. My parents always tell this funny story of when I was in Japan. I think I was just a bit of a reckless child and being like, yeah, I'll try everything and just trying this crab and tourists taking photos of me because I had a crab leg just sticking out of my mouth for ages. So I think I've not been afraid to try loads of things and food is a huge part of almost every culture. So when you're learning other languages, you're kind of investing in their culture and their food. So I think those two definitely married together, like food words, always the first things I learn. Uh, Well, you also love Italian food. Definitely. I mean, another thing that I first started writing about was the food I had on my year abroad. So I remember um, one of the pieces I wrote was kind of an essay about all of the people I met in the north of Italy. I taught in the Aosta Valley, which is in the north of Italy, and all of the teachers I made friends with would all give me their secrets of where to find the best Fontina cheese and also teaching me how to make this Fontina and kale cavolo like soup and just even hearing because it's made up of like lots of different regions like the different like regional variations to the soup and hearing everyone's top tips I think the like stereotype about Italian grandmas feeding you is this I found to be very true (laughs) absolutely amazing and what attracted you to become a food reviewer the thing that attracted me the most is that 
I could basically marry two things that I really liked, which was writing and eating and talking about food. Because for me, that's like often what conversations come down to, to a certain extent, obviously. For example, like I found that the analytical skills I learned from my degree, so analyzing literature, like the metaphors and things, how a writer creates their unique style can be applied to how um, food is written about. It's not just how it is on menus where it's very uh, straightforward. Um, I went to this talk from one of my definite, not original, but definite idols called Nigella Lawson. And she talked about this writer called Aldous Huxley and how he influenced her writing style because the way he was almost like scientific and so bizarre and the way he talked about certain like food phrases made her realise she can write about food in more eccentric ways. And I definitely feel that with my writing where I like talking about the context of how people eat, why they're eating, how things can be paired together, as well as out of hopefully out of the box ways to describe something quite simple. But apart from trying to analyse food and obviously getting to eat it all the time, even cultural things, it's quite funny, but the film Ratatouille like really influenced me. Like that scene with the little Remy where he eats the cheese and the strawberry together and then he finds like fireworks I still get that when I eat and even sometimes when I write so I think those two together has influenced me to write about food. Particularly when people read your pieces and then they there to try something new something different something that perhaps without your help and support they might not have dared go into that world. Would you like to tell us about a story that makes food such a difference to people's lives? You mentioned at the beginning how I sometimes write about health. I've had my own like health struggles and I think food just affects every part of your life without you even realising it, how you live your everyday life. And I, at Good Food, I wrote this column every month called Making a Difference, which was small charities or people doing good with food. And there's this amazing organization called Made in Hackney that basically runs free food cookery courses for people in the area. And for me, like coming across that story, it was amazing because it was seeing the, the community come together for each other and not just in a pandemic context, because I think during the pandemic, that came to light quite a lot. People band together, which is obviously amazing, but people have been doing it before pandemics and for forever. And in that organization, when I interviewed them, reading the story of this woman who has three sons who are disabled and is quite kind of isolated in that caregiving role, even though she has to, as part of her duty, she loves to a certain extent looking after people. But um, she took a cookery course that was offered at Made in Hackney. And she found that even just being around other like women specifically who were cooks and doing something practical that was a bit more for fun that could still bring some skills to her life brought her a lot of joy and changed her perspective every day almost mundane tasks which can be cooking even another story I wrote was about a cafe that started kind of reserving like free tables for the specific purpose of strangers just talking 
and coming together and to chat. I think in the UK specifically, obviously there's different cultures, but I think in big cities in London as well, for example, were quite individualistic. I feel like the community often gets forgotten. So these sorts of initiatives like really make you feel like you're part of a group and cared for, which is especially important when perhaps like bigger organizations leave certain people behind, especially when there's a lot of issues at play or problems in society, for example. Yes, it's very interesting because we find that societies that have absolutely amazing food, like France, Italy, Mexico, they all get together very often for dinner every day or dinner on Saturdays and Sundays and the families together. And absolutely, it's one way of sharing, whether it is sharing the cooking or sharing the being delighted with the food. It's an event. Definitely. I mean, I went to a birthday party recently and there there wasn't any food and I I just didn't didn't understand it. Food is like for me, like the center of any gathering and any like good time. There has to be food. (laughs) So when it wasn't there, I was like, no. (laughs) One of my friends, he became vegan. And through food, he has regained his health. So once we find color and excitement through food, it could be in any kind of shape that is good for us, whether it's vegetarian, vegan, balanced, of course. And we don't necessarily have to add too many calories. It could be appropriate to their desires and requirements. Definitely. I mean, a big thing that I was interested in or when I first started this role was writing about food trends and vegan foods. Vegan products in particular is like a huge ongoing trend, which is obviously really good in terms of the environmental impact and for everyone, to be honest, because in almost all of the health reports and reports to do with carbon, for example, it is better to reduce your meat consumption and dairy as well. So even vegetarians see themselves kind of having a few days a week as vegan or even meat eaters. But for me, it's amazing seeing the innovations in that field. Like there's a company called Julienne Bruno that does insane vegan cheese that's like specifically mozzarella and burrata type cheese that like they use fermentation, soy milk and lactic acid to really get the same texture, which is for me completely mind-blowing considering a few few years ago, it was just really fake tasting. Well, I certainly will give it a go because I don't drink milk really. And I suppose my only dairy would be cheese. I do admit to that one. (laughs) So I'm very happy to try all sorts of innovations in that respect. And do you have a recipe that means something to you that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I guess sort of a link in that I was actually vegetarian for a couple of years, mostly coming from a bet from my family, thinking that I couldn't do it. So I was actually vegetarian for a few years And my family has a running joke that always the vegetarian dishes that I would get or that I, that like, you know, my friends or family would make would be better than the meat dishes. And one of the recipes that aligns with that is um, my family's like tamales recipe. I think it makes me think of this because it's around Christmas time now while getting to it. Tamales are quite a Christmas activity because you have the corn husk and the masa and I would always do it with my mum and the vegetarian version that we do, because normally 
obviously there's different fillings, but there's like you do with pork, for example, we would put cheddar and jalapenos like in the middle and they were always the best and they would always run out first. And I always felt very vindicated. So I was like, see, the vegetarian option could be better. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Amazing. I'll try that. Absolutely. And it reminds you of family of warmth. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have a huge family in Mexico, but in London, it's really only like my parents and like my um, my sister and like my close family. And obviously we've got really good. My parents are really good friends who are pretty much family to me. So um I think cooking like my grandma's recipes like or like my aunt's like empanada cepina would bring me back those huge memories because we normally just go to um, Mexico every Easter so I never really felt the like festive period with my extended family except through food because we'd be having the same food on like in different continents and just like you know sending whatsapp photos where you're like haha my empanadas are much better than yours or like sharing tamales like to like all of our family friends that's just a way of kind of sharing our culture but also just feeling connected to everyone even though they're not necessarily there and empanadas similar not quite like pasties interestingly have been developed and you can find in Italy, in UK, in Mexico, in Argentina, of course. And they are all very particular, each country and each region. I learned a couple of years ago the story of how like Cornish miners would like have pasties with meat on the bottom and a sweet underneath. So then they'd like have basically their dessert and their main meal just all in one, which I really want to try out, to be honest, especially with this sweet and salty sort of trend that that is again here to stay so yeah you tell me <laughs> you tell me how it goes and then I might give it a go <laughs> right will do would you share three things that you have learned throughout your career as a food reviewer yeah I'd say first is to not limit yourself it sounds a bit broad in the world of food but I think a lot of these kind of creative industries sound really difficult to get into and to a certain extent they are but you can't um don't say no to yourself first let other people say no and let like and you can prove them wrong <laughs> because if you kind of believe in yourself to a certain extent um you can find your way to what you want to do and I guess that leads me on to the other point is that there's always alternatives there's never one way to do something I remember I was applying for jobs quite conventionally and then for a time there just wasn't because I spent a couple of months applying after university and I was like there's no jobs that appealed so I thought let me just email these media companies to see if they'd have me even for a week and quite a few got back to me and to be honest none of them said yes but even going forward in that way it meant that I have like the connections with them to be able to like follow up with that, for example. And even now I'm doing some work at a bakery and I just got that work from emailing and showing my experience and not limiting myself and saying, well, I don't have bakery experience, therefore they'll never want to take me. I just said, let's try and let them reject me. And this bakery said yes. So they didn't, they didn't reject me. <laughs> and I think the third thing, which is more specifically for food and maybe 
writing about food is don't be limited by how things taste think about the context of how it's going to be eaten because that's really where the story is especially if you're writing about a food product or writing recipes or writing about a food story what's the context what will people relate to what are the other senses other than just taste like there's four other senses that often get forgotten about that's a very interesting one many years ago i bought something called i think is torito which is alcoholic drink from veracruz from the east coast of mexico and i thought it's amazing and of course veracruz as you know it's a uh, super hot and incredibly humid i mean we are talking somewhere between the 28 32 degrees or more and always incredibly sunny the whole state is you know very slim so you get coast all the way across and i took one to the uk and i tell you what it was not the same and i had not tempered with the bottle or anything but certainly the weather the the food the atmosphere it just didn't help to be able to have something like that so i think the uk is a whiskey or wine <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're so right definitely temperature affects how you consume stuff like for example because obviously i'm working for a bakery and learning like the weather is going to affect the bake so for example making meringues like you might not even consider it but if it's raining the meringues are going to like find it harder to dry out or even when the bread is like proving how cold the flat is for example for me or how cold the or how warm the environment is like it's all just so affected by the environment and the context yes absolutely is there anything else that you would like to add I'd love to uh, recommend a couple of restaurants in London mostly ones that I've written about or would like to write about and one is Cinquecento which is restaurant 500 which is based in Archway which is an amazing Italian restaurant that specializes largely with like northern based northern Italian food very reasonably priced but the most beautiful kind of romantic and celebration kind of style place um the chef actually um taught Jamie Oliver how to cook italian food and he's he's called Mario and he's really lovely another one is del 74 del 64 in dalston which is a very 80s beach vibe mexican restaurant where i had um they do tacos and ceviche and everything all very fresh and delicious but the thing that i probably think about at least once a week is these like chicken wings that they made with like morita chili which were amazing i had some leftovers and i brought some to my um at the time my dad and my sister and we were all obsessed with them yeah and the third one this place called dorian in notting hill it's, it's only been open for a month but it's like a french english bistro beware that the acoustics there are quite poor so you might have to shout a lot but i had an insanely beautiful pate on toast that was like so velvety and mousse like and it had half a slice of red grape which again was kind of back to my ratatouille like moment where you didn't think cheese and strawberry like i didn't think a red grape and a pate could like merge but it was incredible really good combination that i'm definitely going to be copying so yeah i just wanted to shout out to those places
Oh, perfect. Perfect song to try. And what's next for Maga Flores Trevino? Yeah, so I'm actually starting a new role in December and I'm going to be a senior food and drink tester at Hearst. So I'll be working with brands like Good Housekeeping, Women's Health, and I'm really excited to be with a new team and um, to be tasting a lot of food and drink. And I'm sure I'll be doing my WSET Wine and Spirits Awards, which will be exciting to let me write about drinks in a more definitely scientific and informed way. And hopefully be doing some more writing just about restaurants and other things that I love. It all sounds amazing. Thank you very much, Maga, for talking to us. How can we contact you? Please contact me on LinkedIn. So I'm Maga Flores Trino. So if you ever, um, if anyone listening wants to know more about the industry or has any specific questions, please don't hesitate. I'm always happy to talk to anyone about how to get into this world or more about food and drink. This is Urban Jungle with your host, Magda Flores. Thanks for joining. And if there is a topic or people you would like to hear from, all you have to do is drop me a line. My email address is urbanwsolutions at gmail.com. Urban environments need your help. Be part of the solution. Check out our training courses on urban well-being. Developed in partnership with SIWEM, the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org.